0: All right. So the last few weeks we've been in a series, and it's called habits. Uh, we all have habits, right? Sometimes you might call habits they might be your routines, uh, and some of our routines are good, some of them not so good. Some of our routines, if we uh, um, are, there's just something we do. It's a habit we have. You know, uh, last Sunday I got here to church, and and uh, or actually before I got here to church, I'm driving here, and and I'm just having a trouble seeing. You know, and, and everything's looking a little blurry, and I just put in a fresh contact, and and and. and and so even knowing that uh before i left the house i brought an extra fresh contact in my saline solution thinking okay if this is going to not work out because i only work one contact so i can see far and one no contact close your eyes adjust and and so uh some of you might do the same thing and and because i didn't want to wear contacts and then have glasses to see close so you know so anyway i do the one contact thing and and but it was just a struggle and i got here and i walked and i figured i'd be fine as soon as i walked in the building and everything was just weird and and odd and it was bothering me and all that. And you remember that? Remember I was in there and I'm, you know, I'm, and and actually Laura was like, hey, you better stop winking at people, you know, because I was doing this going, okay, is it working? And, and so that was good advice actually last week. And so if I winked at you last week, it wasn't on purpose. There wasn't any weird thing going on there. So anyway, uh, I went through the morning and it was just rough. My notes were hard to see, uh, you know, looking and seeing. It was just a hard morning. Um, And I get home and all of a sudden I have this thought, huh, I wonder if I took my contact out the night before. <laughs> and so I was like, well, regardless, my eye's bothering me. So I go to take out my contact and I, and I toss it. And then I'm like, all of a sudden, the clock I can see on the wall only when I have contacts in came into complete focus. So I reached back in my eye and pulled out a second contact. <laughs> problem solved. That was the problem last week. And so what happened was I had broke my routine the night before. What was normally a bedtime habit, a routine that I did, I didn't do my normal routine. And so then I came to church with two uh, contacts and one eye. So for those of you who have been thinking about that and considering going the two contact and one eye route, I just encourage you don't go that route. It 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 doesn't really work. It doesn't make you see twice as good. Uh, (laughs) Well, James Clear wrote a book, and it's called Atomic Habits, and, and we've been talking about it, and some of you picked it up already, you started reading it, you're loving the book, and he said most of us have similar goals in life, but, but we get different results, and the results can be dramatic because he says it's not even about setting goals. He says it's not our goals that are gonna determine if we're gonna be successful with, with our life. He's saying it's more about the systems you have in place, the habits you have in place. He says you're not gonna ever rise to the level of your goals. That's just not where it's at. He says you fall to the level of your systems. You fall to the level of whatever system or whatever habits or whatever routines you have in place. The systems, the habits are the key to accomplishing your goals. And so we've been asking in this, in this series, and I hope you keep doing this regularly, that it keeps coming back to you. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? What do I want to be? What do I want to become? And, and as you ask that question, then based on who you want to be and who you want to become, we've just said, hey, okay, what habit do you need to start? Pick one, pick a habit, and, and we said the key, the system with this habit is you got to make it easy, you got to make it obvious. Make it easy, make it obvious. I hope that's like just kind of something that keeps going on in your brain. If I'm going to start a new habit, i got to make it easy, make it obvious. Make it easy, make it obvious. And then we said this, we said not only that is we want to look and say, hey, is there a habit that we need to break? Is there a habit in our life that we need to overcome to get rid of? And, and, and what habit do we need to, to, to stop? And we said, in order for that to happen, we got to have a system for that. And so we said, you know, part of that system is you got to make that habit more difficult to do. And you got to be aware that I got to be aware that whatever triggers me, whatever that cue is, I got to make that cue, that trigger more difficult in my life. I got to try to eliminate that trigger, uh, remove it. Get get distance between myself and that trigger, make it more difficult to do. And here's what's so great. When you and I start to take these small steps, when we start to work this system, whatever it is for whatever we want to become, what happens is that's how you start redefining who you are. That's how you start redefining your identity because the habits that you have today that you're choosing to say, I'm going to develop these, those habits that you're developing today are shaping who you become tomorrow. Now, historically speaking, there have been a handful of habits that have shaped the lives of Jesus followers that live with the greatest spiritual power and potency. Historically speaking, there's a a handful of habits. Habits that that you, that, that would be obvious habits to us. Habits such as participating in weekly worship, participating in some type of smaller group gathering, doing both of these weekly, having daily devotions which includes reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and prayer. I've heard already from a couple people that Karen Bass did a phenomenal job teaching our ladies this weekend how to study the Bible and how to be in it and get, and get out of it what God is intending us to get. A few more habits that have historically been part of those who experience a life in Jesus is regularly serving, regularly giving, Here's one that's not talked about a lot today, fasting. And then finally, the habit of sharing your faith or preaching the good news or preaching the gospel. These are the habits that give you and I the greatest opportunity to experience more and more of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And again, with these habits in our life as a Jesus follower, you and I have a greater chance of living with a tremendous power and spiritual potency in our lives. Now, we're not going to do a message this week and, and just, you know, see so you walk away, what it was about. Well, I got to read the Bible more, study more, pray more, serve more, give it. Because intuitively, we know that. We know, and that's why I just remind you, these are the historical traditional habits. And my hope and my prayer is, as we've been going through this, ser- this series that these historical habits have been part of the habits you're thinking, these are the ones I wanna start, or these are the ones I wanna develop, or these are the ones I wanna get into my life more. But one of the things that I've discovered over the years is it's possible to be a Jesus follower, be committed to these habits, but still have some serious heart issues. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, he was quoting Isaiah 29, verse 13. And Jesus said this, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are actually far from me. You see, it's possible to have these habits, to do the right things, so to speak, and still have an angry heart, still have a, a grumbling heart, still have a critical heart or a negative heart or a divisive heart or a hurtful heart. Paul actually warned Timothy against people in the church who have this type of, or this type of person in the church. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul said, these type of people, they will act religious. Another translation says they will have a form of godliness, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And Paul said to Timothy, this is such a big deal. He goes on and says, stay away from people like that which is why I like what Joshua Infantado said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. And he lists all the habits that I just shared with you, those historical uh, habits uh, that have been a part of the Christian life. But he has another one. And he says that, uh, that a highly effective Christian also has the habit of developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit reflects a heart. It reflects a heart that is flowing out of a relationship with God, a close connection to Jesus Christ. It reflects a healthy heart. And I imagine many of you know what the fruit of the Spirit is. You've read about it, maybe studied it here at LifePoint. We've done that in the past. Galatians chapter five tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness self-control that these are all characteristics of a healthy heart that is connected to jesus today what i want to do is i want to zero in on one particular fruit of the spirit which is goodness and what i actually want to do is i kind of want to go take an approach kind of come at this almost from a sideways angle not maybe not a traditional typical way i want to come at it as a sideways uh point of view and i want to do that by showing us a person looking at a person who was goodness personified. I mean, this guy was goodness personified, that goodness flowed out of his healthy heart. And so today, a ha- one habit of a healthy heart is that it sees the good. It sees the good in others. It sees the potential in others. It sees the best in people. Again, seeing the good in others flows out of this fruit of the spirit of goodness that's indwelling, that's a part of, that's evidenced in our life. I understand. It's like there's this natural inclination to see the negative in other people, to be pessimistic. And I really get it it because everywhere we look, it's easy to see the, the lack of respect and common decency that we have for people and property. And for some of you, maybe you're in sales or you work the return counter at any store or you're in law enforcement or you're in the military or some other type of profession and you work in an environment that constantly gives you evidence that people are jacked up, (laughs) that they're messed up and you see the worst of humanity and it's hard to see the good. But what if, what if, what if we developed the habit of seeing good in others? That's only gonna happen if it flows out of the fruit of the spirit of goodness in our lives. Listen, we all have faults. We all have issues, personality quirks, every single one of us. What would it be like in your life if? people judged you and critiqued you based on your faults or your mistakes. Wouldn't that be a horrible way to live? And maybe you've had that in your life, that somebody or a group of people based on one thing you did wrong or two or three things you did wrong, and that's how they judged you because that's all that they're aware of. You see, as you read through Scripture, one of the things you discover is that God is in the business of taking someone who has issues, who has faults, who has challenges, and he takes that person who has hang-ups, who has flaws. And God says, I'm going to use that person. And I'm going to do something great in them and through them. People like Moses and Peter and Paul and countless others. So how about it? How about we say, you know what? I want to develop the habit of seeing the good in people. That, that I would be an encourager of others. There's enough tearing down in the world. We need more people that are cheering other people on that there are more of us who say, you know what? I, I wanna tell people how, how incredible they are, how special they are. Man, you have mad skills and abilities and talents. And you be specific. You look at them and say, you know what? I see in you. I see something special in you. I see you have a huge heart. I see in you a compassionate heart. I see in you a, an eye for attention to detail. I see in you a, a passion for excellence. Man, I see in you a drive to get things done. I see in you incredible humility. I see in you just the spirit of gentleness and kindness. I see in you extreme generosity. Tell them what you see and why you think it's so special. Man, I love the way you, and let them know there's already enough negativity, divisiveness, and criticalness in the world we need more encouragers. Would you agree with that? Yes. We need way more encouragers. Amen. We have great example, a great example of somebody in the Bible who had the habit of seeing the good in others, which flowed out of him having the fruit of the spirit of goodness in his life. So let me set it up. If you haven't turned there already, turn to Acts chapter nine. I don't know if I mentioned it before. Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. So let me set it up. We have a, a Christian killer Saul of Tarsus, and he had been sent, uh, many of you know his story, he'd been sent from Jerusalem to Damascus to destroy the Christians there in Damascus. And in the journey of heading to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and, and, and he got saved. He gave his life to Jesus in that journey and was in Damascus for a little bit, but then it was time to go back to Jerusalem. So he returned to Jerusalem, and now, rather than being Christian killer, he's now a follower of Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, tells us what happens next. When Saul, and by the way, I'm going to mix up the name Saul and Paul throughout the message. His name is Saul. His name is also Paul. We usually know him as Paul. So I might say both. When he, Saul or Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. And who could blame him? I mean, seriously, after all, what better way to to destroy the church than to fake a conversion, to infiltrate the ranks, to gain the trust of the leadership, and then spring it on them and send the troops and put them in jail, ultimately even killing some. So the Christians in Jerusalem don't want anything to do with this so-called convert. Next verse, Acts chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas... Took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly the name of Jesus. Who is this Barnabas character? Now, I got to tell you, he's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, and hopefully you see that as we go throughout the message. Well, we first learn about this Barnabas individual back in Acts chapter 4. And it tells us this, in Acts chapter 4 verse 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. What does Barnabas mean? Which means son of what? Let's say it together. Son of? Encouragement. encouragement. He sold the field. He owned and he brought the money in and put it at the apostles' feet. So, Joseph, this Levite, this priest, he was one of the early converts to Christianity. And he was given the nickname Barnabas because of who he was, because of what he did. What did he do? He just constantly encouraged people, it was constant. And the apostles were looking, every time they saw Barnabas interact with people, they're like, hey, there goes that encourager again. There he goes again. Look at him, he's encouraging people. Look at him, yeah, Joseph, he's building people up. Look at him, he's building them up. He's Man, this guy's incredible. You know what? We're just gonna call him encourager. Hey, hey, you, Joe, you're now encourager. Because they saw it constantly from him. So Joe, Joey, Joseph, this encourager. Also in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, He is called a good man. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And I don't want you to miss it. Goodness and encouragement go hand in hand. If you have the fruit of the spirit of goodness, you will see the good in others and you will be an encourager. You'll be a cheerleader of others. You will build others up. So here in Acts chapter nine, Joe sees the good that others refuse to embrace. Now, make no mistake. This was risky for Joseph, for Barnabas, to take this type of step step with Saul. After all, what if Barnabas is wrong about Saul? We're talking huge implications. Christians going off to jail, being killed, destroyed. What if he was wrong? Also, you have to ask yourself, at this point in the story, does Barnabas know who Saul would turn out to be in the long run? Does he know that yet? What's the answer? It's an obvious one. No. Did he have any inclining at this point that he would someday write half the New Testament as, as the apostle Paul? No, of course not. Did he know that, that Saul or Paul would go and preach the gospel from, from Jerusalem to Rome, planting churches all in between? No, he didn't know that for that matter. He wasn't even 100% sure about Saul's conversion, but he saw in Saul or Paul what God saw, a forgiven man, a man full of faith. You see, the early believers looked at Saul and all they saw was a problem. Barnabas looked at him and saw incredible potential. The early church saw what what Saul had been. Barnabas saw what he could be because Barnabas saw the good. Man, this is a habit that God invites us to develop in our lives. Barnabas was willing to do something that we talk about all the time here. It goes hand in hand. He was willing to give Saul the benefit of the doubt. He was willing to be quick to spot spiritual potential. So what about you? Would you be willing? Would you be willing to commit to the habit of developing this seeing the good in others, seeing the potential in others, seeing what somebody could become in Christ, of becoming this this just great cheerleader for others? And as we continue through Acts, we discover this wasn't a one-off for Barnabas. This was a habit. He developed the habit of seeing good in others. I want to just go through a couple of those examples. For example, the Jerusalem church later on, they sent Barnabas to a newly established and rapidly growing Gentile church up in Syria, Antioch, Syria. So flip forward a couple pages to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, it says this. So so Barnabas has been sent to this church. When Barnabas arrived, and there's a couple key words in this passage. When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And what did he do? And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And here's that verse we looked at. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. As you develop this habit of seeing the good in others, as you are connected to Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit that comes out is goodness, and, and as you develop this habit of seeing good in others, here's what happens. You just begin to see the grace of God operating everywhere. You begin to see the ways in which God is working, that all around you, man, God's grace is evident, God's grace is prevalent, God's grace is moving Acts eleven twenty three 23, again it says when Barnabas came, he saw what the grace of God had done. Now you need to understand, this was, this was out of the ordinary. This was actually, this, this was actually pretty incomprehensible. For you and I, we don't think much of it. But you got to remember the first church, the first Christians, who they were all Jewish, right? 3,000 of them gave their lives to Christ on that one day that Peter preached. These are Jewish Christians. And, and, and Jewish Christians, especially someone like Barnabas, who was a, 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 a Joseph, who was a Levite, a priest, they knew the laws of God. And if you were Jewish, you knew there was command, there's 600 plus commands, there's rituals you do when you go to church, here's how you do it, here's what it looks like, here's all these steps, here's these clothes you wear, here's how you make your offering. They were very, very specific in the way in which they had to worship God. He shows up at a Gentile church because it's Jewish Christian church they embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they still practice the Jewish, the Jewish you know, aspects of their faith. He shows up at a Gentile church. The only thing they have, they know that Jesus loves them, died for their sins, you give your life to Jesus Christ, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, and you will be saved. And that's what they did. And then they started gathering and started to hear about teaching and celebrating communion, and that's about all they had. So Barnabas walks into this. And a Gentile church versus a Jewish church would look like pure chaos. Uh, Not a lot of rituals, not a lot of order. In Barnabas, a Jewish Christian can look and go, man, look at the lack of in this church service. The lack of this, the lack of respect, the lack of order, the lack of. A Jewish Christian would be prone to say, how can you? How I of mean, you call yourself a Christian and you ever find yourself doing that? But that wasn't Barnabas. He is a good man. The fruit of the spirit of goodness flowed out of him. And so he rejoiced in God's work in the lives of others. Verse 23 says he celebrated. He was glad about what God was doing in their lives. And so I'm asking you right now, what is your habit when you look around? What do you see? what do you see even as you look around in the church what do you see do you see a bunch of screw-ups do you look around and go man i know what that person's done i know what they did this weekend i know what they did last night you look around and you find yourself frustrated with the body of christ you look around and say they call this church and they you know fill in the blank is that you or do you rejoice and seeing God's work in people's lives, seeing the grace of God, what is your habit? Do you see potential in people or do you just see the faults and the failures and the hangups? Acts eleven twenty three it says Barnabas saw the evidence of the grace of God. And it goes on and says, man, he was a glad and so he just encouraged everybody to remain true to the Lord. What about you? How about we see the grace of God in people's life, that we get pumped about it, that we rejoice in it, and that we celebrate in it, and we encourage people in that? Well, it goes on. You see, because this is a habit, Barnabas, uh, it continues, and he, he spent a season there encouraging these new Christians to grow in their faith. And then in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Barnabas went off to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul had been in Jerusalem, but he went to his hometown of Tarsus. And when Barnabas found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You see, Paul, uh, Barnabas, he was like, hey, I'm kind of leading this church and pastoring this church, and I could use some help. And I remember Saul, and man, I knew that guy was something special. So he went and hunted him down and brought him back and said, hey, will you co-pastor this church with me? And so they did that, and after time, the Holy Spirit set Barnabas and Paul apart for that church to go off and share the message of Jesus with other people outside of their church. It's what we eventually call Paul's missionary journeys. And so they went out and shared the good news about Jesus, and on one particular, what we would call missionary journey, it tells us in Acts 12 and in Acts 13 that John Mark teams up with Barnabas and Saul or Paul. And after traveling and working together for a period of time, something happened to John Mark. He bails out on them. Acts 13 tells us he turns his back on them. We don't know why, but Barnabas and Saul or Paul had to go off and finish the work on them by themselves. We discover later in Acts 15, Paul wasn't too happy about that. John Mark bailing out. I want you to listen to how this goes. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says this, It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and let's see how they're doing. We had established all these churches, built all these churches, founded all these churches. Let's go back and revisit, see how they're doing. Verse 37, Barnabas, who sees the good in people, sees the potential in people, he has this great idea. He says, I want to take John Mark. Verse 38, verse 38, But Paul did not think it wise to take them because he had deserted them before in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Notice verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement. These two people that shared years together, missionary journeys together. An incredible amount of time, the Bible tells us this disagreement caused them to part company. And good old Barnabas, what did he do? He took Mark. Mark. He sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. It's a loaded passage. But again, we see Barnabas in the habit of seeing the good in others. He not only reached out to Saul or Paul back in Acts chapter nine, but now he's reaching out to John Mark. He is insisting on seeing the best in people. I see in you something special. He did it with Saul or Paul. He did it with that church in Syria of Antioch. And now he does it with John Mark. He believed in the best of somebody and what they could become. He says, I see your potential and I'm not gonna hold your past against you. Rather, I'm gonna focus on what you can become. And so like Barnabas, let's not give up on people. Let's not give up on people. Rather, let's develop the habit of seeing the goodness of the grace of God operating in their lives, being willing to say, man, I want to see what they can become in Christ. And I want to do that by drawing alongside of them and giving them chance upon chance upon chance to become all that God has for them. And I know some of you are thinking like I think, well, what about boundaries? I mean, where do boundaries factor into this? What we're talking about today doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. There might be circumstances, situations, relationships, whatever the case may be. Boundaries are important, they're critical, they're necessary. It doesn't mean that we have to be some type of Pollyanna and be naive about people's past behaviors. But in the midst of setting boundaries, if they're needed or when they're needed, we also can have a spirit of reaching out and reaching into people's lives and drawing alongside of them and not giving up. Yeah, we have to create some parameters, boundaries, whatever the case may be. But I want you to know, I'm not giving up with you on you. I'm going to still help and be a part of what God wants to do in your life. Galatians chapter 10 says, or chapter 6, verse 10, says that you have opportunity men do good to all people, but especially those who are believers. So the habit of a healthy heart. It sees the good in others. It sees the good in others. It flows out of this fruit of the spirit of goodness in our lives. The closer you are to God, the more you'll have that fruit of the spirit flow out of your life. And I want to give you, just before we wrap it up, give you one more quick kind of an addendum to this uh, seeing the good in others. It kind of attaches to it It's part of this. And that is this, is that we would also have a habit, the habit of a healthy heart also celebrates rather than critiques. It celebrates rather than critiques. Far too many people believe they have the spiritual gift of criticalness. They do. And they think they've been blessed with the ability to critique. And I gotta tell you, that, that's not a spiritual habit. That's just criticalness. That's just a really bad habit that's been developed over time far too many believers have ha- developed habits of griping and grumbling and complaining and seeing the worst and assuming the worst remember you need to know that's an indicator of a heart that isn't healthy that's an indicator of a heart that isn't where god wants it to be that's an indicator of a heart that god still wants to do something special in you see that a healthy heart it just has the habit of celebrating Celebration. You know, here at Life Point, this has been who we've we've been and who we are since day one that we just have this this spirit, this attitude of, man, we just praise God and we celebrate God and we enjoy the life that Jesus has given us and we want to enjoy and we want to have fun and we want to be lighthearted and we don't want to be so stinking uptight about life. I mean, we are Christians. We are saved. We are forgiven. We have eternal life. We get to live abundant life right now here on this planet in Jesus Christ. Yes. We have that. The world has plenty of people who see the negative, who are critics. But what if, what if you join me and so many others here, you say, man, I'm going to have the habit of celebrating, being positive, being thankful. The Bible uses words like praising, rejoicing. They all mean to celebrate. I want to read one passage to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to put three translations. It just says it different ways. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Another translation says, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I love this translation. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in it. So do you catch the picture of what God's saying? And this is written as a command, not a suggestion. Celebrate. Rejoice always. That means right now, that means today, in this moment, in this situation, with the body that I have, with the job that I have, with the home that I have, with the relationships that I have, with the circumstances I find myself in, even if they're terrible, that somehow, some way, because I know that God is doing a work, even if I don't always see it, that I am gonna rejoice always, that I'm gonna celebrate always. And rather than critique my own situation or critique others, I'm going to praise and I'm going to celebrate. The Psalms constantly tell us, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They tell us, be glad. Some translations, they say rejoice. And they show us and they tell us our rejoicing. It comes because of what God has done and what he continues to do and what he will do in the future. So, the Apostle Paul who was once Saul, the Christian killer, whose life had been transformed by an encounter with Jesus, who had a person nicknamed Barnabas vouch for him before the apostles, who then ended up spending years with that person, Barnabas. Paul, or Saul, he saw goodness personified in Barnabas. And he learned the power of the habit of seeing the good in others. He learned the power of encouragement, the power of praise, of celebrating rather than critiquing. And so he would later write to all of us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 16, and he would say to you and I, this Saul who had been transformed because of the time he spent with Barnabas, he wrote this, rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice when? Rejoice. 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 Always. New Living says always be joyful. Another translation, celebrate always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for us. It is God's will that you celebrate. It is God's will that you rejoice, that you be glad, that you praise the Lord. That's his will for us. And God is inviting us today to develop this habit of celebrating, of praising. Develop this habit of seeing the goodness in others. And because you see how they're connected, because if you're seeing God's grace and you have an attitude, of, hey, I see God's grace and I praise God and I praise God and I celebrate God and I celebrate what God's doing, you start seeing it. You start seeing it everywhere around you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Thankfulness is the key. To be in a person who lives out the habit of celebration of seeing the good in others. So, the more rooted you are in Christ, the healthier your heart will be. When the healthier your heart is, the more you see the good in others the more you celebrate, the more you praise God. So I want to invite you right now to do a little heart check. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, and I'm asking God that you just really open our hearts wide right now before you. God, we want to lay our hearts before you and We want our hearts to be healthy for some of us god it's a struggle we haven't developed these habits and the fruit of the spirit of goodness isn't necessarily flowing out of us and we know god we just know it's it's we've developed some of the routines the habits of christianity but our heart hasn't been right we've been far from you and so this morning god We come back, we draw near to you. In your own words, in your own way, will you say, lift up a prayer to God and just say, God, I am drawing near to you this morning. I'm coming back to you. God, I want my heart right with you. I want to have a healthy heart so that seeing the good in others, the goodness would flow out of my heart, that celebration would flow out of my heart, seeing your grace moving and acting and working would flow out of my heart, even if my circumstances stink. And so God, I come before you now and I commit to you to develop these habits of seeing the good in others and celebrating and praising. God, help me with this. Help me in those times when my bad habits get in the way. Help me to to make it more difficult to go there. Help me to make it more obvious and easy to celebrate you. Show me what that needs to look like in my life this week. I worship you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you're patient with me and you're doing your good work in me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. God, you've heard these prayers. And so God, keep doing your great work in us. Keep developing us. God, I'm so grateful for what you've done in this church with these people, with our family here. We love you. We want to follow you. We want to serve you. We want to make an impact for you. And we stumble, God, and we know that. That's why we come to you each and every week and we draw near to you. And we just pray, God, and I ask you, keep doing your work in us. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.